Hello, my name is Chris Young, and welcome to episode one of my new podcast, Contemplating Life. The first questions you're probably asking are, who is Chris Young, what is this podcast about, and why should I bother listening to this? I'll answer the first two questions in this episode. Ultimately, you'll have to do the math on that last question. I hope you'll give me an opportunity to show you why this might be worth your time. I believe I have some interesting insights to share and stories to tell. So, who am I? I'm 67-year-old, single, straight, white, cisgender male. I live on the west side of Indianapolis in the house I grew up in with my sister Carol and my roommates Barb and Josh. Whether or not you think I was a human being at the time, it was at the moment of my conception that it was determined I would have a genetic neuromuscular disease called spinal muscular atrophy type 2. That particular fact has affected absolutely everything for every moment of my life. Still, it doesn't completely define me, but I wouldn't be who I am without that particular disability. The name of the disease is quite a mouthful, so for our purposes, we'll just call it SMA. It's similar to muscular dystrophy, although for technical reasons, it's not a type of muscular dystrophy. Like MD, it's genetic, and it's a degenerative muscle disease. It's more closely related to ALS in that both diseases affect motor neurons. I never walked when I was young. My parents carried me around until I was about five years old when they purchased my first wheelchair. When I was 10 years old, the special education school that I attended gave me the use of a power wheelchair that had been donated to the school. I attended Indianapolis Public School number 97, James E. Roberts School, which at the time was one of only two special education schools in the entire state of Indiana. I attended Roberts School from kindergarten all the way through high school. However, for the last three years of high school, I went to Roberts School for half a day and to my neighborhood school, Northwest High School, the other half of the day. Then I earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Sciences from Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis, a.k.a. IUPUI. I worked as a computer programmer at the Indiana University Department of Medical Genetics for two years until my disability worsened to the point that I could no longer work a full-time job. I started my own one-man work-from-home computer consulting company, Cyborg Software Systems, Inc. After about 10 years, I folded that effort because I wasn't making any money. I've had some success as a technical writer. I've also written autobiographical articles for Indianapolis Monthly Magazine, one of which was awarded Best Magazine Feature by the Indiana Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. For many years, I was active in my local Catholic parish, serving on the Finance Committee, Parish Council, Education Committee, Tournament Director of the Poker Tournament at our annual parish festival, and a lot of other projects. For over 30 years, 
I taught Catholic inquiry classes in the RCIA program in my parish. In future episodes, we'll talk about all of these topics in more detail. I'll talk about my experiences in special education, transitioning to regular education, growing up in the Catholic faith, leaving the Catholic Church in my late teens, returning to the Church in my late 20s, and other major events of my life. You can expect some of these episodes to deal with religion. I want to make it clear that I'm not out to push my beliefs on anyone or to attempt to evangelize or proselytize anyone. My goal in discussing religion will be to share the history of my journey of faith and perhaps educate people about the Catholic Church. While the Church is far from perfect, it suits me best of any I've found. I would describe myself as unapologetically progressive liberal Democrat, although not radically so. I'm highly tolerant of opposing political views by anyone who can express those views rationally, competently, and without hypocrisy. I will not hesitate to criticize progressive politicians and advocates when I disagree with them. And you can count on me to oppose and point out any hypocrisy anywhere along the political spectrum. Let's talk about the title of the podcast. Turns out it's really difficult to come up with a catchy title for a podcast that has such a broad array of topics. A friend of mine, Fred Edder, has a podcast called Fred's Front Porch Podcast. He similarly deals with a wide variety of topics. He's trying to create the kind of atmosphere where he's sitting around on his front porch and you wander up to join him to talk about whatever suits you at the time. I didn't want to steal his idea calling mine Chris's Front Porch Podcast, but the concept is really similar. I've been blogging for longer than the word blog existed. Unfortunately, the title of my blog doesn't work very well in a podcast. Here's some background. Set your way back machine to the late 1980s. Before the internet had been invented, there were a variety of online services, such as AOL, Prodigy, Delphi, and my service of choice, CompuServe. On CompuServe, I had a regular feature that today we would have described as a blog, although, as I said, that term didn't exist at the time. It was called Size Eye on Life. Now, as you're listening to this podcast, you're probably asking, what do you just say? Size Eye on Life? What? Small, medium, or large? What size? And what does that have to do with living ions? Is this about physics? <laughs> to clarify, size is spelled C-Y apostrophe S, where C-Y are my initials. I also sign my emails with my initials C-Y, so online friends occasionally call me Cy. That's followed by I on Life, where we spell I, E-Y-E. So it's my viewpoint about life. Size, I on life. That works really well in print, but I don't want to have to explain all of that every time I say the name of the podcast. Audibly, the sounds just don't make sense. I suppose if you're looking at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever, 
and you see it written out, then it makes good sense, and I can talk about it in the podcast. But rather than go through that confusion, I came up with a different name. I think the phrase contemplating life gets across the same concept, but in a way that's much easier on the ears. I also think it's in contrast to the phrase contemplating death. Although I'm a person of faith, I very much love my life. I've often said that when the angels come to carry me off, hopefully to heaven, they're going to have to drag me out of this world kicking and screaming. That doesn't mean we won't spend some time talking about death because it's an inevitable part of life. After all, life is a fatal condition. I don't know anybody who had it that didn't die of it eventually. There's a small possibility I might do some interviews in this venue, but don't hold me to that. Today I wanted to introduce myself before we got to our first topic. Let's talk briefly about what you won't find in this podcast. You won't find quality production values. There are no musical interludes, backgrounds, sound effects. I'm using a microphone I got on Amazon for $17.95. The acoustics in my office are atrocious. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the lighting is terrible. There's a glare on my glasses coming from my window. I'm just not set up to be a professional broadcaster or YouTuber or podcaster. I'll try to edit out any takes with obvious background noise, like the toilet flushing across the hall from me or the furnace or the air conditioner coming on. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to edit out all of the background noise. I'm aware I don't have one of those well-modulated NPR-sounding voices you typically get in podcasts. Hello, this is Chris Young. Welcome to Contemplating Life. (laughs) Nah, I'm not going to fake it like that. That's just not me. You get my real voice pretty much the way I'd be speaking to you if we were sitting face to face. No offense intended to those who do create acoustically perfect podcasts with interesting production values. It's just a talent I don't have and don't care to acquire. I want you to get the raw version of me. Now, full disclosure, you can probably tell I'm reading this from a script I wrote. If I didn't, I'd ramble even more than I'm rambling now. I'm going to try to keep this reasonably short. So that's enough introduction. Let's get on to today's topic. The title of today's episode is Unintentionally Inspirational. A common experience that many disabled people share is being told that they're inspiring simply by engaging in ordinary activities. In 2012, Australian disability rights activist Stella Young, no relation to me, coined the term inspiration porn to describe this situation. She originally used the term in an article in an Australian broadcasting system's webzine called Ramp Up, but the term was widely popularized in a famous TEDx presentation she gave in Sydney, Australia in 2014. You can find a link to her video on YouTube in the description of this podcast. I highly recommend you watch it. She explains 
she uses the word porn because inspiration porn objectifies one group of people, disabled people, for the benefit of another group, non-disabled people. Popular examples of inspiration porn are internet memes showing disabled people doing ordinary things with a caption such as, What's your excuse? The mantra of people who speak out against inspiration porn is, I don't exist to inspire you. The assumption behind inspiration porn is that having a disability is a terrible thing. The idea that you can get out of bed in the morning, go out in the world, go to work or shopping or to church or the movies, it's all such a massive accomplishment that you inspire people with such activities. What's really going on in this situation is that they're saying to themselves that cliche statement, there but for the grace of God, go I. In other words, no matter how bad my life is, at least it's not as bad as that poor person sitting there in that wheelchair. (laughs) I'm especially amused by people, mostly people of faith, who say things to me such as, you know, God has a special purpose for you. My response is always, indeed he does, because he has a special purpose for everyone, including you. Then I have to bite my tongue to keep from adding, and I'm pretty sure his plan for you does not include you having such a pitiful, condescending attitude toward disabled people. They assume that the only way God can be just and allow me to suffer such a horrible fate is that somehow I'm part of his infathomable plan. Somehow a greater good will be accomplished by my horrible condition. I doubt that they appreciate the subtly and theological accuracy of my response. How clearly such attitudes are demeaning, offensive, and inappropriate. But, and there's always a but, while I strongly agree with the party line of the general disabled community regarding inspiration porn, I have some alternative thoughts about the topic of inspiration in general. My position on the topic is summed up in the words, I have no right to tell you what can or cannot inspire you. First of all, let's look at the word inspire. The root of the word is speare, which is the Latin word meaning to breathe. When you respirate, you breathe in and out. The Holy Spirit is often called the breath of God. It's the source of inspiration for Scripture. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, A mighty wind swept over the waters. However, the word wind, used here in the original Hebrew, is ruah, which means spirit, or breath of God. Spirit comes from the same Latin root, spiare. So to inspire someone is to breathe life into them. Inspiration is a life-giving and life-affirming endeavor. It seems strange to me that there's such a thing as bad inspiration. No, I'm not talking about being inspired to do bad things. I'm talking about being inspired for the wrong reasons. 
that brings me back to my position that I don't think it's appropriate for me to tell somebody what can or cannot inspire them. Our work to create a more accurate picture of disability and correct any mistaken stereotypes, but I refuse to admonish them for being inspired. Now, I've been called inspiring on many occasions. Some of them were totally undeserved and could correctly be categorized as inspiration porn. I don't go around trying to inspire people. I'm flattered when they do find inspiration in me. And there have been times when I've engaged in what some people might describe as the exploitation of my disability by others. Except for one instance, which I'll describe in a minute, I don't think I was being exploited, demeaned, or objectified. Let me give you a few examples of things that happened to me that many disability advocates might find objectionable, but I did not. When I was growing up, I did publicity for various charitable organizations. At age 10, I was on TV for a photo op supporting the 10th anniversary of the local United Way campaign. At about that same time, plus or minus a year or two, my friend Estel and I had our photo in the newspaper to support a local Goodwill Industries collection campaign. While many would say that these poster child activities were exploiting our disability, I have no ill feelings about those activities. In the case of the United Way campaign, I had benefited from programs through the local Muscular Dystrophy Foundation, which was mostly funded by United Way money. As a beneficiary of the money donated to United Way, I think it was appropriate to feature someone in that role. The tone of these events was not to portray us as objects of pity. This was in contrast to events such as the Jerry Lewis Muscular Dystrophy Telethon. I could, and perhaps will someday, devote an entire podcast to explaining what was wrong with that travesty. Although Esther and I didn't benefit from Goodwill Industries, we did participate in their collection programs, and I can appreciate that disabled kids working to help other disabled people was a genuinely appropriate human interest story. Also, in 1981, there was a feature article written about me in the Chicago Sun-Times because I participated in the John Hopkins First National Search for Computer Applications for the Handicap. I developed special assistive technology to allow my friend Christopher Lee to access a computer by making a clicking sound with his tongue. Again, the idea of a disabled person helping another disabled person I thought was an appropriate newsworthy story. Christopher and I were also the subjects of a feature by local Channel 6 WRTV reporter Barbara Boyd, and there was a feature about us in the Indianapolis Star newspaper. I have no regrets about any of that. We accomplished something newsworthy. Some of the publicity and accolades I received have been totally undeserved. Let's talk about one of them. I don't recall exactly what year it was, 
but we'll call it the mid-1980s. I had quit my full-time job because my disability had worsened. I started my own one-man, work-from-home, software development and consulting business. One of my clients was the Indiana Department of Special Education. They hired me to create a database for them. Shortly after I completed the work, they had the Indiana Governor's Conference on the Handicapped. Each year, a handful of state agencies would traditionally give out an award to a disabled person recognizing their accomplishments. The Department of Special Education picked me to be recognized that year. I came very close to turning it down because the only thing I did was complete the job that they hired me for. I discussed the situation with my friend Bill Littlejohn, who had worked with me and my mother on a variety of advocacy and legislative projects. His advice to me was, "Ah, they need to give you the award more than you need to receive it. Go ahead and let them have their fun. Now, Bill understood where I was coming from. He knew I wasn't trying to be falsely humble. I described the circumstances to him accurately, and he knew I hadn't done anything extraordinary. His attitude was that if I turned down the award, the people giving it would realize their mistake and be deeply embarrassed. Or perhaps they'd learn nothing from my grand gesture of rejection, and everything would fall on deaf ears. There were other state agencies that gave out awards to disabled people that day. And when they read the resumes of the recipients, it was clear that they had done extraordinary work that deserved to be recognized. When the DSC gave the reasons for giving me an award, it was embarrassingly thin in comparison to the other recipients. They handed me the award. I smiled for the camera. The department head who handed it to me asked if I wanted to say anything. I said no. When I got back to my table, I looked at the framed certificate. They misspelled my name. They called me Christopher when my legal name is actually just Chris. That framed certificate currently lies in a junk pile on the bomb shelf of my bookcase. I kept it only as a reminder not to sell out again. In contrast, Indianapolis Mayor William Hudnett once named me Indianapolis Outstanding Handicapped Citizen. During the presentation, they cited my work as a member of the board of directors of two United Way agencies and my work as a lobbyist at the Indiana State Legislature, where I worked to secure passage of legislation to make it easier for disabled people to vote. Although my eligibility for the award was directly tied to my disability, the nature and the tone of the award were no different than the accolades that the mayor might bestow on anyone else for service to the community. Okay, technically it wasn't as pure as it could have been had I received the recognition in an open category. Critics would say, they're just saying, isn't it wonderful that handicapped people can be of service to the community just like able-bodied people? Trust me, 
It didn't feel that way at the time, and my opinion hasn't changed about the event. Disability advocate Stella Young, who coined the phrase inspiration porn, is clear that there's nothing wrong with being inspiring when you do something truly inspirational. We all need inspiration in our lives. We can all be motivated by the example of others who accomplish great things. I'm proud of my accomplishments, and I'm grateful when people recognize those accomplishments. If someone finds it extraordinary that I've accomplished these things while dealing with the daily challenges of living with a disability, I'm not going to admonish them for doing so. As long as the recognition is focused on the accomplishment itself, it's okay to mention my disability in the process. There are many awards and accolades given especially to other minorities, such as people of color, LGBT plus people, or specifically to women. Is it racist to accept a black filmmaker's award? Is it sexist to accept a woman's advocacy award? If an LGBT plus person is given an award by an LGBT plus organization for the work in the LGBT plus community, do you turn it down because it's not broader recognition? You have to be pretty damn picky to think so. And so neither is it inappropriate to have one's disability acknowledged when citing their accomplishments as being noteworthy. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, my disability doesn't define me entirely, but it's an integral part of who I am, and it affects absolutely everything I do. To acknowledge that is to acknowledge reality. Unless I'm teaching or preaching about faith, it's never my intention to be inspiring. Even then, my hope is that you're inspired by the gospel message and not by me as the messenger. But if you're genuinely inspired by anything I do or say, I'm grateful you found inspiration. If you find this podcast inspiring, that's okay. I didn't make it in hopes of inspiring for you, but if that happens along the way, that's fine. I hope the inspiration's for a good reason. I believe that inspiration in and of itself, even if sometimes for misguided reasons, can be a positive thing, and I'm grateful that you found it so. Does that mean I'm a self-deluded ableist? Well, I don't think so, but then again, that's the definition of self-deluded, isn't it? What does it mean to be ableist? That's the topic we'll explore in more depth next week. Now for a word from our sponsor. No, that's not accurate. Now for a word to our potential sponsors, namely you. I'm not producing this podcast to earn money. I'm doing it because I want to exercise my writing muscles. And like all writers, I egotistically believe that what I have to say will be of value to others, whether it's educational, entertaining, and yes, even inspiring. If you find value in what I'm saying, you can express your gratitude by subscribing to my Patreon page 
for just $5 per month. It'll get you early access to this podcast. And if I can think of any other perks or benefits for my subscribers, I will include them at no extra cost. I don't anticipate having various levels of support. I think just the basic $5 is plenty generous. It's not that I'm desperate for money, but a little extra income sure could help. If you cannot or choose not to subscribe, please consider liking and sharing this podcast with others to help my audience grow. Your comments are also quite welcome on whatever platform you found this. Please return next week as we continue contemplating life. See, that don't work for me. See you next week, and until then, fly safe.